This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. A little bit about myself. I grew up in a small town in western Pennsylvania called Conneautville. Lived in a small cottage that overlooked the town. The house itself uh, was built upon the foundations of an old farmhouse that was owned by the city undertaker. And you can still walk the property and every now and then you could scuff your foot upon those foundation stones, those old rocks from the old farmhouse. And you could see where the carriage house was and, and where things had been laid. I too have left my mark upon that property over the years. In fact, many, many years ago, I had an interesting encounter with a door frame. I was walking into my bedroom and not paying much attention, somehow enabled and run my head through the door frame into my bedroom. I fell to the ground and immediately said the most logical two words, stupid door. And then drove my foot through the plaster wall. The hole is still there to this day. As a teaching element, I don't know. But if you were to go into that bedroom today, my mom, who's probably nodding her head, shaking her head, pointing at the hole itself, yes. Does it make sense? Stupid door! And so I kicked a hole right through the wall. Have you guys ever done that before? Gotten angry? Kicked a hole in something? Broken something? Yes, yeah, some, some, not many of you. Many, some of you, who here has gotten angry before? Yeah. <laughs> we own it, don't we? We own that one. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about today uh, our anger. We're in this series called Trainwreck. The emotions that derail us and how to get our life back on track. For some of us, it's anger. It's anger. A couple weeks ago, I brought us to Psalm 42 where the poet said, Why, oh my soul, are you so downcast? He had the ability to reflect upon his emotions, to express his emotions in a godly way, to direct them towards God, and even took a moment to teach others and encourage you. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that message, you can go to whoishouseontherock.com and you can unpack that. Why, oh my soul, are you so downcast? And my challenge to us was, hey, let's start to think about how we feel and let's practice a life of worship. Let's direct our thoughts towards God and see what God wants to do. But today, let's drill down on the question of anger. This is what I've found and this is what I believe. People with lives on track aren't derailed by anger. Write that down. People with lives on track, lives of purpose, intention, meaningful lives, profitable lives, happy lives, are not derailed by anger. So let's look at anger today. What is it? How can it derail us? And we're going to look at an episode in Jesus' life that you're very familiar with. But let's look at it through the filter of anger and see how Jesus responded and see if you would have responded the same way. So what is it? Everyone experiences anger. Right now my wife's in the nursery, okay? She's not angry, okay? But if we took two of those toddlers and put one toy right in the middle of the two of them, there will be an expression of anger as one reaches and one gets. Talk to a teenager who's upset over their curfew time. Anger. Anger. 
Maybe we check in on you on your way drive home from, from church. Maybe the line at least chickens too long. Maybe someone cuts in front of you at 75. There might be an expression. All of us experience anger. Anger is a universal emotion. It's temporary. It's important. It's physical. It's emotional. Response to a particular frustration that's come our way. It's a combative response. Something's pushed against us, whether verbally, emotionally, physically, and we get flustered. And our body responds, our emotions respond. We want to push back verbally or physically. Look how we often describe anger. Pent up anger welled up inside of him, right? He was bursting with anger. She flipped her lid and finger. He hit the ceiling. Our blood boils. He blew his stack. It is one possible response to a frustrating moment. It's one possible response. You can have three people experience the very same thing. Not all of them may get angry. You, one might get angry, but it's one possible expression in the midst of frustration. And this is important. Anger is what we call a secondary response. Something else has happened inside of you. And it has then led to an angry response. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I used the illustration of Elise stepping on a garden hose thinking it was a garden snake. Okay? How you think determines what you feel. If you don't like how you feel, then you need to change the way you think. Anger comes second. Anger comes second. Anything can solicit an angry response. Cold soup at a restaurant. Societal injustice. Teenager who mouths off. Someone attacks your kid. Who here has been angry? Go ahead. Who here has been angry over something important? Go ahead. Who here has been angry over something not important? Upon, now maybe in the moment you're like, this is the most important thing. There were one slice of cheesecake. I saved it from dinner. Who ate it? At the moment, it might seem like the most important, crucial thing in your life. Yeah. This is important, though. Anger is a God-given response within a broken world. Jesus got angry. The prophets got angry. God and godly people get angry. But how do we not get derailed by the anger? How do we not sabotage ourselves and wreck our lives, our families, our marriages in the presence of anger? How do we keep from blowing our stack? It says this in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27. If you're familiar with anger, this might be a familiar passage to you. Ephesians chapter 4, 26 through 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Right, just from that, I, I learned a couple things that I can be angry and not be derailed by anger. I can be angry and not blow my stack. I can be angry and not sin. The Bible gives me permission to that. Be angry, do not sin. 
I have to process my anger. I have to reflect on it. I have to step away. It says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Address it. What is making me angry? I I need to express it correctly. I I can't give the, it says, an opportunity to the devil. My anger cannot become an open door to advance evil's agenda. You can become, did you realize, you can become a hired gun and join forces with evil spiritual forces and break humanity even more because you haven't learned how to deal with your anger. You can become a tool of evil because you don't know how to deal with your anger. You can destroy your wife. You can destroy your kids. Think of an old steam engine like that up there, how it works. There's a firebox. A fireman takes coal, feeds the firebox, keeps that thing nice and hot. That firebox heats up the big boiler, that big, long tube that's full of water, produces steam. That steam drives the pistons, makes the engine go forward. That fire is there by design. You take that firebox away, engine no go. Now it takes an engineer who understands how to measure gauges and how to appropriately adjust things so that the fire does what the fire is supposed to do, that the steam does what the steam's supposed to do, to move the engine forward. However, if you don't know how to deal with, manage, maneuver what that fire produces, you can derail, you can blow your stack. Common mistakes in your notes, write this down. Blowing our stack often results from two things, either misdirected or suppressed anger. Either it's misdirected or it's suppressed. Let me take them in turn as you write them down. What do I mean when I say misdirected anger? Simple. I hit my thumb, I kick the cat. Right? I hit my thumb, I kick the cat. It's misdirected. What'd the cat do? What'd the cat do? All the cat lovers are like, that's right. What'd the cat do? You were disrespected at work, so you come home and you yell at your kids. Long day, so you take it out on your spouse. Misdirected anger. The energy is not going towards the right thing. We aren't slowing down to process. We aren't slowing down to reflect. Here's what you need to hear me say. Misdirected anger doesn't work in dealing with anger. Well, don't I just have to let it it out? If I just deal with it, then I'll be fine, right? Actually, no. Not at all. Someone tested that. A bunch of researchers got together, and they wanted to test that theory. Does just letting it out deal with the anger? So they got a a bunch of test subjects together and had them write an essay. And then they verbally berated the essay to solicit an angry response from the test subjects. So much so that it would make you angry, the things that they said and the things that they did in response to the essay. And then they told them, hey, if you're angry, you can go over and punch that punching bag for two minutes. So people don't really punch it. Punched it for two minutes. The question is, did that deal with the anger? They then had the test subjects compete in an event. 
And what they found was they were more aggressive, more angry, and more hostile against their opponents. Misdirected anger made them more angry and more aggressive. All it did was heat the boiler up even more. It didn't deal with what was really making them angry. Okay, so I can't misdirect it. That's not going to work. How about I just bury it, push it down, and suppress it? Guess what? That doesn't work either. It leads to long-term health problems because you're not dealing with the pain. So we call the keyboard effect. If I were to bring up a big grand piano, okay, big fancy piano, and if you sat where I normally sit at the piano, you'd see three pedals down below. One of them is called a sustain pedal. It kind of lets the, the notes ring out when you strike the string. Okay? Another one's called the damper pedal, meaning when I push that pedal down, it lowers a giant dampening bar over all the strings. Not just one or two of them. It dampens all of them. What we found is that when I suppress my anger, I end up suppressing all of my emotions. Not just anger. I suppress happiness. I end up suppressing sadness. I end up becoming numb as I push things down and push things down and push things down. One Harvard study found this, that those who suppressed their anger were 10 times more likely to succumb to other chronic illnesses. Because there's a buildup of this, this toxin inside of you. Because anger is both physical and emotional. It affects our bodies physically. And if we're not going to deal with the agitation, it just builds up and builds up and builds up and builds up. Misdirected anger doesn't work. Suppressed anger doesn't work. And we've begun to think in our culture that being angry long-term is okay. That it's not my fault. You pushed my buttons. You did it. You took the cheesecake. It's on you. It's not my fault. Anyone know, familiar with that tactic? You did it. You made me angry. It's just not the case. It's not true at all, actually. We've led ourselves to believe that violent outbursts are not a sin. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. And then we smirk a little bit because it's some kind of state of national pride or ethnic pride. Our anger our evil friend lurking in the background to hulk out is wrong. It's sinful. In the fit of rage, to verbally berate or physically abuse or emotionally damage and corrupt and mentally wound another human being is wrong. And we've led ourselves to think that getting angry is not going to destroy ourselves in the process. 
these stress hormones accumulating inside your body and inside your mind, leaving your body in a constant state of anxiety and agitation, birthing hostility and wrath and rage. University of Tennessee study found this. Studying middle-aged women, those who are regularly angry were also pessimistic in life, lacked social support, were overweight, lacked sleep, led sedentary lives, and the angriest of them had existing health problems and often believed themselves to be the victim. One psychologist found a link between anger and skin conditions. How many of you, when you get angry, you get all flustered and flush? Some of us really appreciate that. It's like a warning sign for us. It's like we, you're kind of letting us know, hey, red zone, you're going to die. <laughs> but think, if you will, chronically in a state of anger, psychologists found that the skin just can't take it. And it led to a whole host of challenges. But when his patients started to deal with their anger, their acne cleared up, their eczema cleared up, rashes went away, warts went away. Frederick Buchner said this. He says, of the seven deadly sins, anger is possibly the most fun. Right? It's the most, it's fun. Sometimes it's fun to be angry. He writes, to lick our wounds, to smack our lips over grievances long past, to roll over your tongue the prospect of bitter confrontations still to come, to savor to that last toothsome morsel both the pain you are given and the pain you're given back. In many ways, it is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that you are wolfing down yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. What do we do? Instead of blowing our stack and getting derailed by anger, destroying loved ones in the process, what could we do? I've got this thing called anger. The engine's got a firebox. But God, how do I stop from blowing my stack? We need to learn how to let off steam in godly, mature ways. And my suggestion is this. Letting off steam looks to the cross. Write that down. Letting off steam looks to the cross. I want to read for you the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And then I'm going to encourage you to reflect on it in a way that maybe you've never seen it before. This is Luke chapter 23. I'm going to read verses 33 through 46. I know they're familiar to you, but let the Spirit speak to you fresh through it. Luke 23, 33 through 46. This is the story of our Jesus and his, cruci his crucifixion. Follow along if you're, if you're watching online. And when they came to the place that's called the skull, there they crucified Jesus. Criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They cast lots to divide his garments. The people stood by, watching. Rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. He's the Christ of God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, Hey, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. 
There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were uh, hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Well, save yourself and us. Others rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? We indeed justly, the one criminal said, for we have received the due reward for our deeds. But this man, this Jesus, he's done nothing wrong. And then that criminal said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Here's, here's the question. Why didn't Jesus get mad? Why didn't he get mad? Think about it. Think about all the things that make you mad. Physical pain. Emotional pain. Disrespect. Mocking. Laughter. Exhausted. Hungry. Think of all the things that make you mad. And can you not find them in this passage? Why didn't Jesus blow his stack? I mean, how do you respond when people get in your face? Repeatedly get in your face. How do, you, how do you respond when you are publicly embarrassed? How do you respond when you are physically exhausted, emotionally abandoned, hurt? How do you respond? Why didn't Jesus get mad? Look what he did do. Kindness. Write that down. He was kind. In the middle of being crucified, being tortured, being mocked, being hurt. All that's going on inside of him, mentally, physically, beaten and abused, and Jesus chooses kindness. To the cross, he says, to the criminal on the cross, today, you'll be with me in paradise. How did he say it? Well, today you'll be with me in paradise. No. Don't you think it was full of love and compassion? Don't you think it was full of grace? In the midst of all that he was going through, maybe very angry inside, for what creation was doing to him. He was kind. Kind words. A kind tone. The follower of Jesus is always expected to be kind. Aren't there some? Nope. How about it? Nope. When they, uh-uh. But, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. You don't know. Doesn't matter. 
you are always, if you are a follower of Jesus, expected to be kind in what you say and how you say it. Well, that kind of makes me angry. Yeah, yeah. Be angry and do not sin. What else was Jesus? He was kind. There was kindness. There was a spirit mindfulness about him. A spirit mindfulness. Write that one down. He doesn't let his physical pain and emotional turmoil sabotage him. He is not about to become a tool for evil. Rather, he's tuned into the Father. Father. Father, he says. Father, he says. Into your hands I place this. Like our last message in Psalm 42, he directs everything towards God. What if you were mindful in moments of anger to putting things into God's hands? God, into your hands I place my boss. God, into your hands I place what my spouse just said. God, into your hands I place that disappointment, that frustration. God, into your hands I give you my teenager. God, into your hands I give my exhaustion and my frustration. God, into your hands I give what my parents did. God, into your hands I give what he did. What if we could actually grow becoming like Jesus so much so that in the midst of great physical pain, emotional pain, disrespect, hurt, pain, whatever it was, we were so mindful that we could say, God, into your hands, I place this. I'm going to be kind. Jesus, hurting and accused, mindful of the Spirit's call and purpose in his life. And then thirdly, Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Kindness. Spirit-mindedness. And forgiveness. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But no one asked for forgiveness. Did the writers leave that part out? Maybe a Roman soldier came up to Jesus and said, will you please forgive me? I forgive you. Maybe some of the Pharisees came up to Jesus and said, will you forgive me? There's no record of anyone asking for forgiveness. Yet Jesus instantaneously, immediately, intends a posture of forgiveness. He doesn't need to be asked for forgiveness. He gives forgiveness. To forgive, to give peace, to give grace, to give love, to give kindness. It means to bear the pain and the hurt and the brokenness and the death. It takes the debt upon yourself. It intentionally separates the debt from the debtor. You stand in the gap. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Here on earth as it is in heaven, give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. 
meaning I come between the debt and the debtor, and I bear the pain myself. I do not hold it against them anymore. The number one decision in keeping on track when you could get derailed by anger is forgiveness. Let me help you through it. Forgiveness in three parts, okay? Part one, I forgive. It's an instant, it's intentional, it's a moment. If you have forgiven, that means you can look back at a moment when you made the decision, I forgive this. Whether it was asked for or not, solicited or not, you came before God or you mentally held that person up, I forgive this. I separate this person from what they did. I do not hold it against them anymore. I forgive that. Okay, part one. Part two, I am forgiving the process of forgiving. Wounds hurt, right? Each time the pain resurfaces, Rather than fester and foster hostility, uh, rather than replaying and re-advantaging the situation, God, into your hands I place this. Every single time that gets plucked, that gets hurt, I am forgiving. I give it back to God. Could be a moment, could be a song, could be a scene, could be a voice, anything that brings that pain back to me afresh. And I Flush again. My heart goes again. I croon again. God, into your hands I place that. First I forgive. Then I am forgiving. Why? Well, it's not really mine to begin with. That's what the cross is all about. He takes upon himself the sin and the death of the world. And so this corruption that I've experienced at the hand of someone else isn't for me to bear. So I give it back to him. That's why he came. That's why it's good news. You are crumbling and your spirit is crumbling under a weight and a debt you are never designed to carry. You're not built for it. It will crush you. It is crushing you. So every time you feel that rise up again, God, into your hands, I place this. I forgive, I am forgiving. And then the last part is, I forgave. I forgave. How do I know when I'm in step three? How do I know when I forgave? What do you think? Huh? It doesn't hurt anymore, right? It doesn't hurt. The wound has become a scar. It's not open. If you poke it, yeah, it has shaped me and it has changed me. But it doesn't hurt anymore. I drive past that place, it doesn't hurt anymore. I hear their voice, it doesn't hurt anymore. God in his grace has brought me to a place of healing now. I forgave. 
and God has healed me. How long does forgiving take? It can take a lifetime. But now you're becoming like Jesus. Do you have something to forgive? When it comes to anger, either you let it go or you let it grow. Either you let it go or you are going to let it grow inside of you. And that never leads to a good place. Earlier, I had read to you a couple verses from Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. I want to read that verse in its context for you. Within mind what we saw in Jesus, the kindness, the spirit-mindedness, and the forgiveness, okay? Ephesians 4, let me read 25 through 32. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. We're members one of another. Be angry, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. You never have permission to say anything that corrupts and breaks another soul. They bear enough brokenness as it is. Don't you dare work for the devil. But rather, but rather, words that build up, that fit the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you've sealed the day of redemption. Spirit mindfulness. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. And be kind to one another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Read it with me. As God in Christ forgave you. How do we not get derailed by anger? Not blow our stack and let out the steam? Right before this passage, it says that we are to put on the new self created in the likeness of God. You are to look like Jesus as you respond to the world. That means I'm going to do what I said I would do when I said I was going to follow Jesus. When I was baptized, when I was confirmed, when I stood up and said, I will follow Jesus. That means I will only be kind, though they may crucify me. I will be spirit mindful. Father, into your hands, I give this and I will forgive. They don't need to ask. They don't need to ask me. I'm like Jesus. I'm going to let it grow. Let it go so it doesn't grow. Artist, would you come up, please?
We all get hurt. We're humans. We hurt each other. Because of sin and death, it's kind of our default mode now, isn't it? What does a human do? Hurt other humans. Not right. It's wrong. It's easy for us. Forgiveness takes time. We heal within community. Is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there anger that you're holding on to? At House on the Rock, we try to give sacramental ways of, of doing invisible things. A stone can become a very powerful thing. It's not very big, is it? It's pretty small. Crazy thing about anger, it's not how big it is. It's how long you carry it that decides its weight. I mean, Rob's a pretty strong guy. He goes to the weight room, guns and all. But if I give this to Rob and say, I need you to hold it like this for a week, not very big, is it? How heavy is it going to feel in an hour? How heavy will it feel in two hours? You're not designed to carry it. So let's set it at the cross. I forgive. I forgive. And that might mean each week I come back and I check, yep, it's still there. I'm forgiving. I'm in the process of forgiving. It's still over there. I don't touch your rocks. Those rocks have been there since you put them there. That's why that keeps accumulating. We don't touch them. That's your stuff. It's at the cross. Not, I don't want to carry it. I got my own mess I'm working through. But maybe we need to set that over there. And maybe for a week or two weeks or a couple months or even a year. There it is. Okay. I forgive. Into your hands, I give this again. But what you will find is, by God's grace, and you won't realize it till after the fact, you stop looking over there. Because it's been forgiven. Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.